0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's 1974 and Europe has been engulfed by an energy crisis. Only one man can solve it and it's not somebody who really exists in the world. It is in fact James Bond here to do battle with his equal in gun cleverness, Scaramanga. Please let Lulu welcome you to Raven Bond and the man with the golden gun. (laughs) These intros are getting way too elaborate, Stu. They're starting to freak me
1: out. You're really leaning into them. I like
0: it. I'm starting to get performance anxiety because I know this song has a while till it gets to the
1: the title. It really does. And then when it does, oh boy, does it lean into it.
0: (laughs) What do you make of this song? Before we get into the 1974 classic Bond film, absolutely flawless, The Man with the Golden (laughs) Gun.
1: The dictionary definition of classic. (laughs)
0: What do you make of Lulu's
1: song? I, I had heard it before, but I'd never sort of heard it in context because this is the first time I'm, I'm watching this movie. Uh, this is one of the few Bond films that I've never seen, and so it was oh. very interesting to sort of come to this. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, very much so. But having said that, like this song sounds like a parody of a Bond theme. Really? To me. like Certainly, to, to me, hearing it in context for the first time, it reminds me of the theme to Kath and Kim, Right, which is which is sung by Gina Riley in like a Bondy sort of gold fingery style. Yeah. And it really reminded me of that you know what I'm talking about right like you you've heard that you've heard the theme to Kath and Kim
0: well, it does have that big like we shall see ba, ba, da, da, da. yeah <laughs> I do see where you're coming from
1: like it sounds like I mean it's obvious that they're trying to capture some sort of Bondi spirit in the actual theme song but it, it comes off sounding like a, a, a bad parody which makes it maybe the the perfect theme song for this movie
0: <laughs> it's a weird one because it, it I find it's a bit of an earworm
1: so oh yeah I feel- no I've been humming it to myself for since I watched it over the weekend. So yeah, no, I, I I've been sitting with this song for a couple of days.
0: It burrows its way into there and I'll just find myself like dancing around the kitchen going, He'll get it done <laughs> <laughs> And and obviously when I do it in my kitchen I sound amazing. So oh totally.
1: Yes, absolutely. Perfect
0: that I'm hunched over my laptop and can't extend my diaphragm properly fool you into thinking that I'm not just an amazing stuff <laughs> So this is Roger Moore's second Bond film and it basically went into production pretty much as soon as Live and Let Die had finished.
1: Yeah it must it have.
0: At least 18 months after Live and Let Die is released so it was a bit of a bang bang but then this is the film that kind of broke Bond for a little while.
1: Yeah I can imagine.
0: Because it's the film where Harry Saltzman, who had of course been the co producer with Cubby Broccoli, he decided to sell his stock in Eon Productions. I think he had other financial issues, and so he sold his rights to United Artists, I think. Right, okay. And so the partnership between Saltzman and Broccoli was over, and that had been the partnership that brought all of those canonical Bond films to fruition. So after this movie, that is gone, and they take some time after this movie to work out how to do The Spy Who Loved Me, because as you know from the end of this film, it said James Bond will return to The Spy Who Loved Me. Yes. And The Spy Who Loved Me doesn't come out until 1977. So. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, so there's three years then, a gap where they, I think, probably maybe put some more time into script development. and.
1: Yeah, because from, from memory, and it's been a long time since I saw The Spy Who Loved Me, but I remember that being a lot better than this movie.
0: Yes, <laughs> it is. And we'll get to that next time because it is the next one coming up. Yes, but absolutely. Sure. But, yeah, The Man with the Golden Gun, just from me coming back to it, I can definitely see a lot more flaws having watched all the <laughs> previous films. Yes. I always thought it got a bit of a bad rap, and it does deserve most of the bad rap it gets. But it still has some really <laughs> lovely, fun elements.
1: There is a lot of cool stuff in, in this movie. There's yeah. also a lot of very bad stuff. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> well, I want to know your opinions as someone who's never seen this film before for so should we start with you with your one minute challenge
1: okay absolutely
0: uh, i know i've been making you go first a lot but particularly in this case i think no
1: yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> i'm the newcomer here so let's um let, let's go so the first item on my list obviously is uh, scaramanga the great christopher lee who is really really good as you would expect but like he's just really really good i really liked him in this movie i thought he was really great
0: yeah he generally gets good reviews a few people at the time though didn't think he was particularly impressive as a villain but
1: overall yeah yeah I think the film brings him down like like I think the the fact that this movie isn't very good like <laughs> yeah. he's doing his best but like this movie isn't great in fact like I actually I, I wrote next to a little note next to his name just sort of saying is this the best villain in the worst movie oh. like because I was sort of thinking about it I'm like that disparity like like because he's a really good villain I like him a lot I like his gimmick I like Christopher Lee playing him He's not really silly too much, like beyond like the silliness of his gimmick. You know, he, he's played relatively straight and he's played very much in that sort of Red Grant style of like Dark Mirror to Bond. And I thought it was really interesting that he was so good and this movie is particularly bad. <laughs> I was just, I was, I was like, is this the biggest disparity? Like the best villain in the worst movie? Certainly of what we've seen so far. I, don't, I mean, I have a hunch there will be some movies that are worse than this in our future but is this the biggest disparity it's a it's a very specific thing but it just sort of occurred to me i don't know whether you agree
0: it's a definitely a great question to ask and continue to ask as we go along as is the other option which is can you have the best movie with a worst villain? Like, who would be the worst villain? Because can you have a great Bond film with the worst villain? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, it does. It does. I, I mean, it, it's, it's the th- reason why Goldfinger is the top of my list at the moment because it's a really good film and the villain is fantastic. Yes. Like, it's gold, stan- it's gold standard at the moment. <laughs> um, no pun intended. But, yeah, so I, I thought that was really interesting. I thought he was really, really good. I, I liked him a lot. We'll probably talk about him more as we go along. The next thing I have... And on my list was Bond Girls. One is murdered and the other one is a ditz. So yeah. not a great not a great track record in this particular movie for the girls. We'll definitely talk about that later, I imagine.
0: Both Swedish, though. Oh, are they? Yeah, both I knew, Swedish. I knew
1: Britt Eklund was Swedish. I didn't know Maud Adams was, was Swedish.
0: And guess what? How yeah. much a dude is Christopher Lee? In the war, one of his jobs was working in like a language section. So he learned Swedish as one of his oh, languages. Oh, right. So he would just hang out on set, chatting in Swedish to Britt Eklund and Maude Adams.
1: Oh, that's nice. I bet they appreciated that.
0: Because Christopher Lee's just a motherfucking dude.
1: Just, just the best. <laughs> He's a very cool guy. The next item on my list is a random dojo fight. Awesome. Very into the random dojo fight.
0: <laughs> I meant to write down, but you reminded me of uh, Lieutenant Hip. Basically. Oh yes, yes. And his nieces.
1: And his nieces. Oh, look, Natalie, this movie's bad. That is a very good scene. I'm extremely into that.
0: It copped a bit of flack at the time because in the same way that Blaxploitation was on the rise. Oh, sure,
1: yeah, this is is a Kung Fu movie.
0: This is Kung Fu, which in the mid-70s is getting really big. So this
1: This comes out like a year after Enter the Dragon, which was obviously a big influence on it with its House of Mirrors and that sort of thing.
0: Yes. So
1: they've gone with the dojo fight. But I love that it's a random dojo fight. This is what I mean. Like, like they have him banged to rights. Like, they're ready to kill him. And he's like, no, 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 bring him along. Take him to
0: school,
1: (laughs) I think. Take him to this random place where, like, random women will, like, massage him and feed him (laughs) sweetmeats. And then he will have to fight... Some dudes, I don't understand what is happening here,
0: and I just want to say the dude because there's a couple of different dudes that he fights. But yes. the, um, the guy in the black, uh, yeah, who's
1: obviously like very, very good
0: uniform, I, I don't know what you call the um,
1: uh, gi usually, uh, I think, gi,
0: yes, so the martial art uniform. And he's in Bond's in you know kind of light blue or something, and this guy's in
1: black, he's like the hottest guy, like I'm. <laughs> I was going to say he's, he's very good at martial arts, but, yes, I he's guess he's – incredible uh,
0: actually, at martial arts, but I was like, holy shit, that guy is fine. <laughs> like, he was freaking hot ass. If you're not au uh, fait with the man with the golden gun, just search YouTube. I'm sure the dojo fight is on there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, one fights a dude in a black gi, and he is hella
1: good looking. Like <laughs> –
0: He's like, I imagine if the male hero from Mulan, is it Li Jiang?
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah.
0: I I had a lot of very strong feelings towards the lead dude in Mulan out of all the Disney princes, I guess. Fair enough. I was like, wow, I never really thought I'd fancy a a cartoon character, but here we are. Uh, (laughs) And, like, they keep him shirtless for most of Mulan.
1: Like, he's shirtless. I mean, he is. He he often has his shirt off.
0: Why do people think I had a thing for abs with Jon Snow? (laughs) Disney implanted this stuff. (laughs) To me, he looks like uh, Li Jiang, you know, come to life.
1: Yeah, in many many ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Anyway, enough of my thirst. (laughs) (laughs) Thirst for uh, background James Bond characters. That's
1: right. I I mean, this movie is extremely thirsty, given that uh, Britt Eklund spends most of the back half in a tiny bikini.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And also, like, they have a random lady swimming naked in a pool whose name is Chew (laughs) Me. Chew Me. Which I think that scene exists just for that gag. Yes, of course it does. Steve. I mean, I mean, the, the, she has no other, like, the, he, he comes across a random naked lady who says that her name is Chew Me. Well, he needs a reason to take his shirt off so he can show off his superfluous nipples. Oh Actually, you know what? That is actually true. I hadn't oh, given the movie credit. <laughs> there is a reason for it. There is actually a reason for it, of course. And look, we, we will talk about
0: Roger Moore's still large and now multiplied Nipples.
1: Yes. (laughs) Very much so. So yes, yeah, so I'm I, I, very, very into as as non sequitur as it is. I'm very into the the random dojo fight. I like that a lot. And then um, and then the subsequent lieutenant hips nieces who just suddenly turn into kung fu badasses. That was great. It's
0: so funny when he's like stand back girls and they're like no, stand back old man.
1: And, like the movie telegraphs it so much. And actually, I was like, oh my god, are they going to kick everyone's ass? And yes, they they definitely did. It was fantastic. The next item on my list was massive laser. Also. Awesome. Love a good laser.
0: Yeah. It's, it's all like, how do we turn an environmental solution yes. for the energy crisis into something very dangerous?
1: Yes, exactly. And I love it. It's just off to the side. Like he says, oh, and I've got and this is a little bonus as well. <laughs> it's like also so we have unlimited uh, energy from the sun and also a massively powerful laser. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, and I love that. I love that. He then then goes on to say, like, obviously he has a golden gun, right? Like the Scaramanga has a golden gun. That's his whole gimmick. And then he has this giant laser that's powered by the sun. and He goes, I guess you can really call me the man with the golden gun. It's like, no, no, no. Too far movie. Too far. Didn't need that.
0: There's a lot of stuff in this movie that we probably didn't need, but we got it
1: anyway. (laughs) That's very true. Next item on my list, I just wrote Knickknack Tabasco. (laughs) Yes. Which is great.
0: They did a whole bunch of product placement deals for this film. And um, and that was that was one of the big ones.
1: Yes. I mean I mostly I mostly mentioned it to, to bring Knick into it, but I, I was I was fascinated by that line because I was like, maybe I missed it, but like why does he need Tabasco? Does he have something that he wants to put Tabasco on? Is he just gonna drink the Tabasco sauce? What's going on?
0: <laughs> well, what do you make of Knick Should we discuss him for
1: a? Um, I mean, look, you know, I uh, God, I've forgotten the actor's name, but I. (laughs) I, Hervey. Hervey Villages. Of course. So Herve Villachez, obviously uh, is actually not bad in in the role. Great. He's very conniving and and he's a two faced henchman, which is always fun.
0: He's a great baddie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind it. Um, the movie, you know, I mean, it's a problematic portrayal of a little person, but I mean, what can we do about that at this point? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what more you can say about that other than yes, it's 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 bad. But well, but he's actually really compelling in the, in the role. I quite like him.
0: He is, and he's very smart, and he's incredibly capable. Yes. Kind of runs Scaramanga's life.
1: And and like I didn't know whether I wasn't paying enough attention because my mind did wander at several points during the film. But like I was worried that I I didn't quite get his motivation. Like does he want Scaramanga? Is there like a friendly rivalry between him and Scaramanga?
0: Do you mean by the fact that he says to Bond at the end, "Oh, if you kill Scaramanga, I get this house."
1: Yeah, and then also at the start, like, he brings that guy in, obviously because Scaramanga wants to train up and and prepare and and, and all that sort of stuff, but they seem to be like, he, he says something along the lines of, you know, oh, I nearly got you that time, and he's like, oh, you'll have to try harder than that.
0: And maybe it's just part of Scaramanga's training, like he wants that psychological warfare aspect.
1: Yeah, but that's what I thought. And that's really interesting. Like, I don't think we've really had that dynamic between, like, a villain and one of their henchmen before, where they're, they're both openly trying to undercut each other.
0: Yeah, and it's because I know uh, younger, I sort of used to think of Nick Knack as very much in the same vein as Oddjob, but he's not he's odd job is just a heavy
1: yeah exactly and you know what i i realized the other day i had this weird idea that odd job was a lot smaller than what he actually was in the movie and i realized that the reason i think that is because of knickknack because knickknack yes. has a similar sort of outfit including the bowler hat yes and um, i was like oh right that's right yeah so like odd job is is a big guy knack's little guy yeah know? Simple as that.
0: Together, they should fight crime.
1: They, they, they should team up. They should They should totally team up. they got a whole... Their aesthetic already matches. They're right.
0: Nick-nack and odd job together at last. <laughs> it is strange, but I will say that Hervé chairs. Villachez- Sounds like a really interesting and kind of messed up dude. Peter Dinklage actually played him in a movie a couple of years ago called My Dinner with Hervé, which is based on... Really? Yeah, I was looking it up briefly. It's based on a real life interview that Hervé Villachez gave not long before because he um, shot himself, to be honest. Um, Warning, you know, don't do that. But that's how Hervé Villegas died. But he'd given this interview to a journal or something like that not long before. And so this movie *My Dinner with Hervé* is sort of based on that interview, and which is a, a true story. Apparently, he was living in his car in Los Angeles when he got cast as Nick Nack. Right. Um, okay. Because he'd moved, he was French, and he'd moved. To, his parents had sent him to New York, and he decided to become an actor. And he got an agent apparently by walking into an agent's office with a knife. <laughs> so, <laughs> To represent me, <laughs> like wow, okay. And then after this film, he had four years of no work apparently, and, right. then and
1: until Fantasy Island.
0: Fantasy Island. And so that was incredibly popular, but he started becoming quite difficult to work with on set. Right. And of course, this is you know I'm just going from a very broad overview. Is he got into fights with Ricardo Montalban and others, and apparently had a habit of just like propositioning women. <laughs> All the time. So he got fired from Fantasy Island and then he sort of just did bits and pieces the rest of his life. But he is so memorable for those two. And Christopher Lee actually said that he felt shooting the man with the golden gun was like the happiest time of his life because, you know, he'd come from living in his car and not having a career mm. and didn't know what he was going to do after it. So he had this amazing time making this movie and being, you know, a big star.
1: Yeah, being being a movie star.
0: Excuse my unfortunate pun there. But, um, <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: yeah, so he's kind of a tragic figure, poor Hervé Villachez,
0: but I do think he's a very memorable. Bond villain uh, henchman to a memorable
1: villain. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean, he's he's a memorable villain. G- his reputation extends uh, beyond this movie.
0: In the final sequence where Scaramanga is giving Bond a tour of his island home, the number of times he references Knickknack, I really noticed it. He goes, uh, "Well, Knickknack does that, and Knickknack is a cordon bleu chef, and uh, Knickknack also, mon- and he's 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 got one guy who looks after the energy plant, but Knick-Knack does the rest. We manage the two of us. Guests are fine, but we it's normally just the two of us. I'm like (laughs) you're right, Stu. Maybe they do have a closer relationship. And he just uses women as, you know, we can get into the um the sex kill shot, I don't know how do you describe that, the the pre murder boner. But that's
1: yeah, well. the biggest
0: thing It's in the it's in the song It's like love is required Whenever he's hired He comes just before the kill I never understood that as a kid
1: No, no, it's it's, it's remarkably subtle
0: I assume <laughs> that like Well yeah, if you're going to kill someone You have to like go to where they are <laughs> I'm pretty obvious <laughs> But yeah, no, totally different meaning And apparently that's one of the reasons Why some people didn't like the song The Lulu song Because they're like, oh, it's full of smut Oh, okay <laughs> Like, have you seen any bond movies there's 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 a
1: lot of smut. yes they're particularly that. smutty films
0: but sorry continue with your list i hijacked it with talk yes
1: bit. no 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 that's all right that's all right well I, so I, yeah i wanted to say knickknack was was really great um i love the line knickknack tabasco it makes no sense at all and then um second last thing on my list jw Goddamn pepper shows up <laughs> again in this in this movie for no goddamn reason natalie <laughs> no, there why is-, is he in this movie
0: comic relief Stu?
1: ah no we don't need that we do not need that
0: (laughs) so question did you know when you were watching the film that he was coming back
1: no 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 no. i I had i had heard previously that jw pepper appears in multiple bond films which seems insane to me but i didn't realize it was this one like i didn't realize it was the very next film right Uh, and yeah like so he's just on a random holiday with his wife in Bangkok. Yeah. in Are they in Thailand, like, at that point? they're, yeah. they're At that yeah. point,
0: I think they're called the Klongs, and they're, like, canals through Bangkok, I believe.
1: Oh, okay, radio, yeah, yeah. The, the um, movie
0: does skate around location-wise. It goes...
1: Yeah. I've lost Macau. track at yeah. multiple points where they were supposed to be. They were all they were throughout Southeast Asia. Yes. And... Like, he's running around calling everyone pointy heads. And I was just like, I'm pretty sure that's not a racial slur, but I feel like it's standing in for a racial slur. <laughs> I feel like like pointy heads in and of itself is not racist, but it's taking the place of some other racist term that he would actually be saying.
0: Well, I couldn't understand it either because I thought, is he referring to the fact that they've got hats that kind of, because all the policemen in... Uh, well,
1: I looked it up. I, thought, I, I actually thought, is this a racial term that I'm just not aware of and i looked it up and it's not listed as like a known racial slur so i was like okay well i guess i mean but what it is it's standing in for what a racist white southerner would probably be calling all these asian people you know if he was actually running around (laughs) <laughs> like it's just yeah it's just very strange and, and like I, yeah jw pepper like becomes an active participant like it's not even like a cameo he like is in the car with james bond as they do something i didn't have on my list but I, i'll I'll mention at this point like as they do a weird corkscrew jump with a slide whistle noise over the top of it the slide whistle oh boy yeah. yes weirdly and insanely not the most egregious stunt during a, a, a roger moore bond film there, there's one coming up that's Even more infamous, but holy crap. What a weird stunt, and what a weird thing to do to it to put a weird slide whistle over the top of it.
0: So, this is what it says on Wikipedia about that corkscrew card jump. Right. One of the main stunts in the film consisted of stunt driver Lauren Bumps Willett. I mean, is that the best name for a
2: stunt? (laughs) It's pretty great.
0: Driving an AMC Hornet, leaping a broken bridge, spinning around 360 degrees in midair about the longitudinal axis, doing an aerial twist. He did the jump on the first take.
1: So, that's so that, was, that was a real jump. So, I mean, that is actually really impressive.
0: Yes. Now, that jump was actually conceived, this is so interesting, by the Cornell Aeronautical Laboratory in Buffalo, New York, as a test for their vehicle simulation software. After development in simulation, ramps were built and the stunt was tested at the Cornell Aeronautical Laboratory's proving ground it toured as part of the All-American Thrill Show as the Astro Spiral before it was picked up for the film and i believe that they bought the rights to use that stunt in The Man with the Golden Gun and they had like an option of 2 years to use it so it couldn't be used then on the i guess on the touring circuit
1: right because because they wanted it for the movie obviously
0: yeah so it was developed by proper aeronautical scientists engineers working on computer simulation, like if if we did this, would the vehicle do this? We have to move at this angle and get this much elevation, this much speed, and then we could do this flip. And then they were right. able to prove it by simulation and then get a real car and do it. So it was the car that they adjusted to do it had a central steering wheel for balance, I think. So they Oh, okay, right, uh, yeah. Yeah, so they cut out the two seats and the wheel was in the middle. And it's a great, great jump. They had to show it in the movie. They
1: slowed it down because otherwise... Yeah, well, I was about to say, yeah, it, it, did, it felt strange to watch, which made me think that maybe it, it was like on a rod or a wire or something because, yeah, it does sort of float through the air a bit.
0: Yes, but they put a slide whistle over it. Here we go. Again, uh, why? <laughs> Composer John Barry added a slide whistle sound effect over the stunt, which Broccoli kept in despite thinking that it undercooped the stunt. Undercooped, undercooed the stunt. Barry later regretted his decision, thinking the whistle broke the golden rule, as the stunt was, for what it was all worth, truly a dangerous moment. True James Bond style. The sound effect was described as simply crass. Yeah, well, How I mean, to- the,
1: the the slide whistle is what kills it. It's so weird. It's a, just a weird thing. <laughs>
0: Still, it's like comedy slide whistle, like yeah. you know, having bought slide whistles for a specific gag yeah having it like it's a very definitive comedy noise yes and it's so weird to find it in here but then so much of this film is like played for laughs some of which are now slightly cringeworthy like the whole fight scene with knick-knack at the very end
1: yes <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's like, oh no,
1: that, which again oof. almost strays into parody. Like it feels like yeah. like an Austin Powers style. And I mean, like obviously we, we have Mini Me as the,
0: yeah. the the
1: Austin Powers analogue, which I imagine must be at least in part inspired by Knack.
0: I guess so, but it's also that whole thing of there's a slight, the ridiculousness of this, you know, small statured man, you know, going, I'll kill you, I'll kill you, and because he's got this sort of thick French accent going, I'll kill you, I'll kill you, I'll kill you, and it's just humorous.
1: And like Like, six six foot five Roger Moore Moore, just swatting him away.
0: But not being able to fully get him because he keeps sneaking away and running under and throwing bottles of wine at him.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's funny. Like it's, it's like I'm laughing going, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but it's funny well, well, that's
1: that's the thing i i couldn't figure out whether the filmmakers wanted it to be funny or whether it was just unintentionally funny
0: i think they wanted it to be funny and this was guy camilton who just directed uh, live and let die and diamonds are forever mm. so i think he must have come in and decided i don't know let's let's play up the comedy
1: yeah, you're right. There's moments in this, in this movie that are very serious and, and, and some that are, that are very good. And there's other moments that are played for broad comedy. And it's mm. just a weird mix.
0: It definitely is. And you don't see – James Bond will always do the quips. But yes. even the quips in this movie are not – Right. There's weird ones. I should have been taking notes. Yeah, you know there,
1: yeah, I, I, I didn't write down any myself. But yeah, there is a couple of strange ones. Um, and the way that Bond is acting, and this is the last item on my list, I just wrote down Bond is a bastard in this one.
0: He's really mean. And actually, Roger Moore personally objected to, particularly when he attacks Maud Adams. Um, yeah.
1: Like, and, and in a way, I can see later iterations of Bond doing this. But I was kind of scandalized that Roger Moore's Bond was doing it. Yeah. I was and, like, no, no, you're the nice Bond.
0: <laughs> and so was he. And, and he was the same because he felt that his Bond wouldn't do that. His Bond wouldn't threaten to break a woman's arm and slap her. Like, his whole thing was seduction.
1: That was- yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it felt really weirdly out of character, even though it's absolutely in character for, like, James Bond, the overall... Like, I, I have no problem with this particular characterization of Bond as, like, a ruthless bastard. I like that idea, but not with Roger Moore. <laughs> like, just <laughs> something about it really grates. Because you're right, and he, and he's right, obviously. He, he knows what he's talking about. Like, Roger Moore's Bond is a suave playboy. Like, he will get what he needs through subterfuge and seduction. He doesn't need to threaten to break a woman's arm.
0: The other thing that's mystifying to me is why he's so mean initially to Mary Goodnight. Like, when you first meet her... It's set up in a way that she says, oh, I'm sorry I'm late, James. So you kind of get the feeling that they've met before. And then he's really, like, snippy with her. Yes. Because she's clearly not a particularly great agent, or at least that's – I don't know if they're trying to portray her as, like, this sort of endearingly clumsy
1: character and it just doesn't quite work or – Well, she's portrayed as borderline incompetent and and a massive ditz and, you know, just very bad at her job. (laughs) And not only that, like like inconsistently characterized because in one, I, I don't know whether you want to we we can get into the Bond girls in a set, in like it's it's discreet thing later on if you want to, but but certainly something that I noticed was that in one scene she blows off Bond and sort of calls him on his bullshit and says, "Hey, you know, I I'm not gonna fall for your crap anymore.
0: I'm not gonna spend a few hours with one of your passing." Yeah.
1: Facts it's a great line it's a great line it's a fantastic line i'm like oh wow uh, this could actually be a really interesting performance and then literally the next scene (laughs) is her going whoops i I changed my mind let's get it on
0: and it turns into a carry-on film when he throws her in the closet and
1: and then it's a comedy of errors because she has to go hide in the closet while he he has his way with the other with the, the other woman that he had threatened to beat savagely before yes um so that's cool
0: and it's also strange that, I mean, it kind of makes sense, but it also kind of doesn't in that it turns out that she, Andrea Anders, sent the bullet with the 007 carved on it
1: to... I, I hated that. I hated that Real? Hated it. Okay. Because it just, I, I, something about it really rubbed me the wrong way because it's sort of, that means that the whole movie is just sort of happenstance. Do you know what I mean? Like, like Scaramanga isn't pursuing this vendetta against Bond. Bond just happens to show up and he's like, oh, hey, hey, I, I really like your work. How are you going?
0: It's strange that he must have had something planned because he had a full on wax figurine of Bond in his house of, Mira. Well I mean
1: he he sort of idolized Bond in many ways. Like he sort of obviously thought that they were that they were two sides of the same coin and that sort of thing, which is really interesting. But that then would be perfect for him to, to like see Bond as like the ultimate test of his abilities. And instead it's just something that his girlfriend did to get back at him. You know? Like it's it's <laughs> just really Maybe he knew. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I got the impression that he didn't know until he directly interacted with Bond. That was my impression. I, I might be mistaken, but that was the impression that I got, was that it was all Andrea who wanted Bond to get her away from Scaramanga.
0: Yeah, and it's weird then that she doesn't just immediately tell him
1: when yes, exactly, because like he's threatening to like beat the crap out of her and she's like, she could just say, I sent the bullet, I-, I need you to get me away from this. Exactly. And it's one of those things where it's literally just doing, jumping through cartwheels to confuse the audience, like, like to give the audience a twist. That's right. Yeah.
0: Interestingly, the the script was written first by Tom Mankiewicz, who'd written, uh, co-written Diamonds Are Forever and then written Living That Die. And he wrote an initial script, but then it went back to Richard Mayborn, who'd, who'd written you know a bunch of the conneries and he then a a second round on it so i suspect maybe it was the combination of two writers trying to make Mm. sense of this strange plot and the fact that m just says i'm relieving you of your current assignment and bond says well what if i go find him and you would never know or something like that And he says, oh, that's a good idea. It's like, why? And then it turns out to be relevant to his actual assignment anyway, which was finding Gibson, the guy with the solar agitator.
1: Oh, but I quite quite like that scene with M at the beginning because basically the, the subtext is M wants him to go and kill Scaramanga. Yeah right. and and he, and he and he's just sort of like come on 007 make the connection
0: I really like him in this film I think he gets to do a bit more
1: and he gets to have some real grumbly I had a note that he he's at his grumpiest I think that I've ever seen him
0: He tells Q to shut up twice Yeah that's
1: right <laughs> Shut up Q Shut up
0: Q <laughs> Q's being his usual kind of puppy dog self talking he's,
1: about he's dogs. nerding out over something he's like shut up Q
0: the other thing, I, the thing I do like about that scene with M at the beginning is when they call Bond in and they say, "Have you heard of the name Scaramanga? What can uh, you tell yes, us about the yes. name Scaramanga?" And Bond goes, "Scaramanga, huh?" Pause and then proceeds to go. Oh, yes, born Francisco here is his, here is America, his
2: 1927.
0: Raised in the circus, <laughs> was an expert trapeze artist in voice, <laughs> smelling roses, and the sound of the rain. And just goes into this incredibly detailed <laughs> profile like he just sort of went click, click, access. Ah, like it was the weirdest. Hmm. yeah
1: it, not, it was very strange uh, not, i mean it was obviously it was it was clunky as hell because they need to to set up scaramanga and this is the easiest way to do it just have it have it mention his entire backstory in a briefing
0: <laughs> exposition time yes and his name is scaramanga you don't forget that name like it's a pretty cool scaramanga. name manga hmm. hmm. somewhat... giving
1: bill scaramanga <laughs> he sells me my tobacco
0: I did like that too when he said, who would want to kill me? He's like outraged husbands, (laughs) insulted chefs and something tailors.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: Tailors. (laughs) It's like they're the people that Bond pisses off. (laughs) (laughs) So good. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of weird non-communication in the film with the operations of M. And mm. bond on the street. Yes. You know, the whole scene in Hong Kong where he's pulled up after Gibson is murdered on the street outside the Bottoms Up Club. And boy, do we want to go there. Oh um, boy. <laughs> like, it's literally just girls sitting on tables in bikinis
1: serving drinks. Well, topless, <laughs> I thought. Wasn't it It's a topless bar, isn't
0: it? Uh, oh, yeah. Actually, I think you're right. I think they <laughs> had long hair covering uh, their dignity, the movies. <laughs> but yeah, then then Lieutenant Hip picks him up. I just love lieutenant hip it's just the best name <laughs> it's so good and he picks them up and, ta- and bonds all like cowloon's this way oh we're going to the new territories we're on a boat oh, it's all above board one's increasingly suspicious jumps off onto the record the qe1 queen elizabeth and
1: uh oh, i love i love this by the way
0: so this is mm. the thing and i even forgot to put this on my list but I'll yes, in- i didn't
1: put this on my list either but i i love the secret base in this
0: i love that secret base it's so good. And the fact that they've got, the, it's like an Escher painting because they've got the...
1: It's, a, it's on a, a slant, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's on a slant. It's on an angle. It's the, It's got the, you know, the prettiness that once was a deluxe cruise vessel mixed in with, they've put ramps and stairs through it to allow you to walk normally. Mm. But then your perspective is constantly shifting because of this angle that everyone's on. And, yeah, they, they have a couple of scenes in there and I love them all.
1: It's so fun. But I love – because that, that, that's a real wreck, isn't it?
0: It's gone now, but, yes, it was. Yeah, but,
1: but at the time that was a real wreck. So I love that the movie is suggesting that the cruise ship was deliberately sunk so that MI6 could have a secret base in Hong Kong Harbour, <laughs> which is great. I, it's exactly what I want out of a, a goofy Bond film. Like, that, that's yeah. great. I love that.
0: Yeah, those things are fantastic. And you just know they, they must have got there by a sub or something.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because the whole team's there. Q's there. Yeah, they're, everyone's there. They're retrieving Chinese planes or something or subs. <laughs> it's so good. But the fact that Bond doesn't know about it seems weird.
1: Oh, no, but but I like that. I like that, that there would be like stuff that you wouldn't even tell the 00 agents. True. You know, like It's it's very cool.
0: True. All right. Well, that's your list. Yeah, that's
1: my list. Yeah, yeah. So, so well, what was on your list?
0: A lot of similar stuff. Christopher Lee is so good. Uh, Hervé Villachez is really captivating. I wrote the car spiral jump and the slide whistle. We've talked about that. I also <laughs> wrote the car plane.
1: Oh, the car plane! I forgot. I forgot about the car plane. That is <laughs> that is how insane that was.
0: <laughs> so the car plane was another AMC. I think they must have um, uh, sponsored. They would have been in the sponsorship thing. So all that those. That
1: wasn't a real thing, was it?
0: No, it, they put the wings on. And right, it was yes. drivable, but it was not flyable. So right, when, yes, I was about to say. <laughs> when it goes into the air, it's cut in with like a little radio model they made, like a little sure. portable fly, you know, you buy portable planes. What do you call them? Uh, yeah, like an
1: RC plane sort of thing, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the drone of its day.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay.
0: They shot it in perspective, so you're like, "Wow, look at that plane that's up in the sky. It's a car plane." <laughs> <laughs> but it was just a model. And then the bit where Goodnight, who's in the boot, sort of looks out is all blue screen, of course. But it was an AMC Matador, and they, yeah, they they threw the the wings on it. But it was so because it's so like clunky <laughs> as it drops. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It like comes bundling out of the out of the the warehouse.
1: <laughs> Like just like, like a dozen done <laughs> you know, like Well it comes it comes bundling out and then they take off down the, the makeshift runway and the wings are like whipping into trees. Yeah. I was like that's not great, man. I would I would really have cleared some of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Get a better runway Scaramanga. Get a better
1: runway Scaramanga. Come on.
0: Yeah, you're getting a million dollars a shot, like pay for floppers, <laughs> for God's sakes. Oh dear. So, yes, I, I did love that. And I had written down, I actually, look, Hong Kong QE Rec HQ. I actually had written that down. Oh, well, cool. Okay. Well done, me. Bond Scaramanga. Yes, I just mentioned that, the fact that he doesn't seem to know who he is, but then in fact knows everything. Yeah. The House of Mirrors. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting that I think this is the first pre-credit sequence from entirely the villain's perspective. I don't think we've had that before.
1: Oh, um, I mean, From Russia With Love was all...
0: Oh, yes.
1: I mean, Bond was in it, but it was a fake Bond.
0: And it, it, the same thing here, he's in it. Yeah, but...
1: and it's a, it's a very similar situation where he's sort of preparing.
0: Yeah, I wonder if they looked back and sort of took that inspiration.
1: They but might if... have, it might be. Well, this felt weirdly self-referential as a film. Like, there was a lot of stuff in here where I was like, it feels like the the series has started to sort of snake around on itself.
0: <laughs> and that's, I think, why people after this film started questioning, you know, look, the quality has not been, you know, particularly great. Is Roger mm. Moore really up for it? And there probably were questions at the time about how long it could it continue for. You know, they've done nine films. Come on. How long can this Bond franchise <laughs> Surely they're going to be wrapping up Doctor Who soon, and
1: then Bond. Will be <laughs> That's after. right, yeah, yeah. It's the 1970s. How much longer can we keep making these Bond films?
0: Yeah. Welcome back, Cotta. That's going to go on forever. Sorry, I was trying to think of something dodgy from the 70s, and that was the <laughs> disco.
1: Disco will never die.
0: Was disco even out by then? I thought. Just, I suppose 74.
1: I mean, 94. I guess it might have been later in the 70s. I don't know.
0: Yes, I, I did think it was interesting that it has Scaramanga doing this whole training routine. Given that Scaramanga seems to attack people from a distance as a sniper or from up close, like when he kills Andrea, which is another one of the bits in the film that I really like, I remember finding really scary – is when sits next to her at the Muay Thai fight and she's going to hand over the solar agitator and he yeah. starts talking to her and she's just not responding and she's just dead but totally yeah. frozen in place. Like, I remember being really scared by that, that somehow in this crowd Scaramanga could get just that one bullet. Nobody seems to hear.
1: And... Well, I guess because it's, it's loud. It's, it's a loud place. Yeah.
0: And her body just absorbs the bullet because it's a tiny bullet and...
1: Yes, but I mean, it, like it suggests that she got shot through the heart, and you're to blame. Well, yes, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was actually, I was, I was like, do I, do I make that joke? Uh, <laughs>
0: you can't say it's one of those things with music, like you can't say shot through the heart and not say, yeah, and you're to blame.
1: Like, and who's <laughs> to blame? I don't know.
0: It's um, so brain. There's a lot of songs like that where you have yes. to, your brain immediately. Yeah.
1: <laughs> But she was, I mean, she was shot through the heart. Yes. And um, I just thought, even if you were shot through the heart, like, surely you would, like, slump forward or be like, I've been shot through the heart. I don't know that you would freeze instantly in place. I'm not sure whether that uh, that's yes. a bit of creative licence on the film's part there.
0: Well, as Scaramanga says to Bond, a difficult shot, but most gratifying. <laughs> But I also like the fact that in that pre-credit sequence, I think this is the first Bond villain who we see being very active and displaying his skill while wearing a tracksuit. And I thought that oh, was mentioning.
1: Well, I, I thought that was like to show that he was like on a similar sort of thing with Bond because Bond is, is known for his terry-toweling outfits and, and various, various leisure wear.
0: Well, Sean Connery was, but mostly in this one, Roger Moore's just in a series of outrageously flared trousers.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> and, 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 like, various uh, suits of,
1: of terrible shades of brown.
0: And green. And, and, and green. And with epaulettes and stuff. It's so magic. It, you're just looking at it going, this is the world's greatest gentleman spy.
1: Like, this was the height of fashion. Like, this was this was the height of, like, fashion and glamour. <laughs> You know, like a jet-setting man of mystery, and he wears this very ugly brown suits with flared pants.
0: And what's interesting is that the outfits that Andrea and Mary Goodnight are in, they're kind of timeless.
1: Yeah, kind of. She,
0: she sort of wears, obviously, in the first scene that Bond sees her, she's just in the buff in the shower. But in <laughs> when she walks into his room to like seduce him, she's wearing this incredible black halter neck, plunge, neckline, evening gown. Mm. She's gone out to watch a double feature movie session in, apparently. And then when she's dead at the movie TIE fight, she's in this sort of beautifully crisp classic white suit and hat. And then Mary Goodnight's bikini is something that you'd still probably see today. I um, mean, look,
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> and then she is wearing, when she sort of rebuffs Bond, She's in this beautiful like blue aquamarine dress and her hair is like molten gold and, you know, I feel like they're both quite classically dressed she does wear a fancy nighty at some point in the bedroom scene. <laughs> it's like this poofy nighty.
1: Yes, yes, she does. But
0: you could kind of take them out and put them in different movies and not really know the time. Whereas Bond is so dated in his fashion.
1: Yeah, which is really interesting, isn't it? Like the the the, the female fashion in this is so timeless, and the male fashion is so dated. When normally it's the other way around. Like normally, you know, whatever guys are wearing is relatively timeless, and, and the 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 women's fashion is is of its time.
0: Yeah. I, I find that really interesting. And my God, they both just have the most incredible figures. And Britt Eklund is oh, that, yeah. holy crap.
1: Like, look, you know, like, yes. And Britt Eklund in incredible shape for this movie.
0: Well, she's <laughs> tiny as well. Like, she's just yes. so tiny. And her abdomen is like, it's like a runway. You could land a jet. <laughs> It's so like smooth and toned and long, and I know I'm being kind of all gazy, but it's like she got the role apparently because she'd had auditioned and then found out that Maud Adams had been cast and was really upset because oh, right, okay. She thought that she'd missed out on the role, but then found out, oh no, she's been cast as the other bon girl, and so she rang them to to you know double check, and apparently they said, Oh, can you send us a photo of you in a bikini and so she did and got the part. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Casting. uh, That went straight to the uh, private broccoli collection.
0: (laughs) Yes, welcome to Casting, 1970s style. But, yeah, it it is quite funny how Bond is dressed. And he's still smoking those cigars, though, which is
1: pretty good. I'd forgotten that that was a thing with Roger Moore. Does that continue? Like, is that his thing?
0: I can't remember. We'll find out.
1: Yes. (laughs) We certainly will.
0: I do think, though, that Roger Moore could pull off those fashions. Like, I can't imagine Sean Connery in a safari suit or flared trousers.
1: No, no, I think he would look ridiculous. Something about Roger Moore, just he has an innate, like, grace and he has an innate sort of self-confidence that you can sort of buy him wearing that ridiculous stuff.
0: Yeah, and it's why he never really seems convincing in a lot of the fight scenes, particularly kind of one-on-one physical stuff because he's so lanky. He's so tall and lanky. You know, you feel like he's just a big plank you could knock over with a well-timed tackle to the groin, you know. (laughs) you just like boom, and off he'd go but he, he sort of does in that you know random dojo fight and he's like in, trying to punch guys and he just always seems
1: very uncomfortable It was interesting that he seemed to be doing a lot of the fighting himself like like there wasn't a lot of stuntman work mm. I guess because he was surrounded by, by all those guys would have been obviously trained fight choreographer people yes. like they would have been uh, kung fu movie people so obviously they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting and I guess they're making him look good but there are definitely points in that fight where he kind of just sort of swings at someone and, and they very graciously take a massive dive
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's really funny when the nieces push him oh yeah back.
1: yeah that's great
0: and he just stands
1: there going, mm-hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, right, right, okay.
0: And then at the very end just kind of pushes one guy. They bring a guy up to him, and he's sort of about to, like, give him a punch and then just goes, ah, and pushes him in the face.
1: <laughs> yeah, I did. I did like that. What I found really interesting, like, really frustrating is then, like, so he gets rescued, except then by, like, a bizarre mix-up, Hip thinks that he's <laughs> in the car and drives off. And so he then has to keep running and we get the water chase. The water chase. But it's like there are so many ways you could have gotten there. What a clunky, clumsy way to to get there. Yeah. Like just, ah.
0: It is great, though, to have that water chase because obviously J.W. Pepper's there. Not great. But that kid, the, like the little tout who jumps oh, in yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. and tries to sell him the elephant, that
1: yeah, was, great. Loved him.
0: was a genius actor. He was fantastic. And he, like, he's in there. He crawls in the boat. He must have been a local kid. And he crawls in the boat. And he's got the best look on his face while he's trying to negotiate to sell this elephant. Mm, yeah, yeah. 60 baht. And he goes, you're very handsome. 40 baht. Yeah. <laughs> It's so good. And then when he says, look, I'll give you 20000 if you can help me make this thing go faster, and he just flicks a switch to let the gas, I guess, flow more freely. Mm. And then he goes, 20000 part, motherfucker.
1: <laughs> 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 he pushes in the water. He's like, bloody tourist.
0: Yeah, bloody tourist. Great.
1: That's great. I love it.
0: It's so good because it's like a, that's a real good comic moment featuring a local performer, like a, a Thai kid
1: yeah yeah
0: it's really endearing really funny and mean like shows bond to be a prick but obviously he's in a freaking gi suit he has no money so. no
1: no totally yeah yeah. but but it's it's all in character and it's all situational it's not like contrived in any way like, like it's something that that has happened relatively naturally in the course of of the action of the movie yes instead of inserting a big Bumbling buffoon in J.W. Pepper to just sort of yeah. give color commentary yes. of what's happening. Like it's just, uh.
0: and to allow Bond when he said, when he goes, you're not thinking of, and he goes, I sure am, boy. Like, oh,
1: that, like, sucked. <laughs> that sucked. That sucked. Like, I hated was, that.
0: He's just <laughs> imitating J.W., but it sounds. Yeah. So weird coming out of Roger Moore's mouth. Like
1: Yeah. Yeah, he did. He did, really did.
0: Everything Roger Moore says is like velvety, you know? Yes. It's like a cream liqueur being poured down your throat. It's so well, <laughs> good night. Even when he's angry, it seems wrong. It's frustrated, or he's and particularly, you know, with Maud Adams, uh, Andrea Anders, when he's trying to like break her arm and stuff, and you're like, No, Roger. Just go back to smoking a stogie and,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and being charming. Stop being mean. It doesn't it doesn't suit you at all.
0: Not suit you. So yeah, so I had further on my list JW Pepper. I had Maud Adams Britt Eklund, with the bikini and the outfits, I had the solar agitator. Oh yes. Solex agitator? The tiny the, MacGuffin.
1: The Solex MacGuffin.
0: Yes. It's like, look, apparently we can save the world with this one small cigarette pack sized device. <laughs>
1: which I love. I love there's an extended there's an extended um sequence of Scaramanga showing Bond how all the stuff works. <laughs> but he's only just found out himself. Yes. Right? So so he's basically He's giving him a tour of an extremely advanced solar power station as if it's like a new iPhone that he, he had bought? Yeah. Now you see, yeah, it's got these apps, you see. and uh, like they... <laughs> I don't know how it works, but it seems pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, there, there seems there's one here that's a calculator. I mean, who knew? <laughs> Look, I can type boobless. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that's not really clear
0: is that he's in business with high-fat who's the the businessman the big witch yeah
1: so so he's he's technically a henchman like like high fat is that is the villain theoretically
0: yes because he wants to control
1: the solex yeah
0: and i guess make a bunch of money off it and then scaramanga kills him and then which says, is all
1: fine like i mean that that's fine I, stuff i've no no problem specifically
0: typical bond stuff because we know that scaramanga is the real villain of the piece. Yeah. and so has he the time is not really clear, but one one expects that not a lot of time has passed from while James Bond is on this mission. So somehow has he got high fats energy?
1: Yeah, like why is that power station on his private island?
0: Is it already there?
1: Yeah, like, like what has, was was it built there? Did he have it moved there? Like
0: and I mean it must have been there a while if it can be run effectively by one
1: dude. Yes, <laughs> the one random guy who has no lines <laughs> but looks looks with malicious intent <laughs> at good night yeah
0: and, and
1: then, then and then he's pushed into liquid a liquid hydrogen
0: i thought it was liquid helium
1: a liquid helium sorry yes
0: maybe it's liquid beryllium
1: <laughs> it Lith- could be
0: or liquid lithium no i've got those the wrong way around i'm trying to think of that <laughs> hydrogen, <laughs> lithium. lithium
1: beryllium boron
0: there you go i get to boron or something and then i i don't know anymore but need to listen to that old tom Lehrer song but what else did i have oh yes so with the solar agitator stuff. The plot of this film is the energy crisis and that was a real thing that was happening in 1974 where – was it the oil and gas was restricted and that's why small cars kind of came into the market because big cars were gas guzzlers and all of a sudden petrol prices went crazy high and
1: yeah yeah absolutely that was it it was basically a um the the supply of oil was limited uh for various reasons and so everyone was like uh hey should we maybe think about not using oil anymore and this was i would just like to remind you 1970 like two three four and we're still having this talk uh, today this is the thing,
0: actually says, or one of the other people with him says, oh, oil and coal are going to be depleted. Uranium is too dangerous. And this is, you know, 13 years pre chernobyl Mm. And then gas is too expensive, or something like that. So, solar is the best option. And yeah. and again, like
1: 1974.
0: Like in, in You Only Live Twice when they're telling Bond to stop smoking because it's really bad for you. Mm.
1: 1974, and a yeah. Bond movie is saying, <laughs> hey, we this should. Solar look- power thing. We should really look into it.
0: Maybe that's why everyone got scared of solar power because apparently it's very easy to redirect the power of the sun into a laser.
1: That's true. Yes. Maybe that is it. <laughs> I actually thought that because uh, Scaramanga says, you know, "Ah, that's the real power of solar energy. (laughs) I'm like, whoa, did this movie set back uh, solar energy by like two decades?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's so great. And the other thing is, it's like an environmentally themed plot, but it's not... I guess the plot is just to make money off solar.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's weird too because, like, obviously there wasn't the same, like, baggage attached to solar power as there is in 2020. So it's just presented as this vaguely futuristic Technology that could exist if you just get like the Solex Agitator. There's no suggestion that it's something that like greeny lefties want. It's it's like a, an advanced technology that Bond wants to get for the UK.
0: Yes, I think maybe this is responsible. Maybe this is where it all went wrong, Stu. That's um, it. Hmm.
1: If it did, this, this would not be the movie's most egregious crime. <laughs>
0: Wow. Okay. The death of the planet Earth was a small price to pay compared to.
1: Well, no, it's just not the worst thing in this movie.
0: (laughs) Just looking up the 1973 oil crisis. So it started when organization of Arab petroleum exporting countries, that OPEC, I guess, proclaimed an oil embargo. Uh, The embargo was targeted at nations perceived as supporting Israel during the Yom Kippur War. By March of 1974, the price of oil had risen nearly 400% from US $3 per barrel to nearly $12 globally. US prices were significantly higher. It was called the first oil shock. There was another one in 1979. That's the very brief overview. But I just want to say $3 a barrel for oil.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. And that was that was considered exorbitant prices. Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, <laughs> we, just,
0: we just pumped it all out of the ground and sold it off the pennies. Mm-hmm. But hey, look, at least it got some plastic toys and stuff. <laughs> oh my God, what have we done, Stu? What have we done?
1: Uh, something terrible, Natalie, as always. <laughs>
0: I saw an article today, someone, you know, these articles come into your feed somehow, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And it was from some futurist. And the article was from 2012. And the headline was, forget 2012, we're going to be in real trouble in 2020.
1: (laughs) Is this this one of those ones that's like spookily spookily accurate about what's going to happen this year?
0: Yes, it was. Didn't say anything about a pandemic but did say that, you know, the cycles of unrest in countries tend to happen on 100-year cycles and he sort hmm. of broke it down and said on this trajectory we're due to have um, stuff happen in 2020 and he said the most common thing likely is group-on-group uh, rioting. Yep, okay. Wow. I'll have to find the article and send it to you. was <laughs> like It's just one guy who's, you know, an academic who studies cyclical stuff. And, uh, yeah, remember the halcyon days of 2012?
1: Oh, yeah. Re- remember when, like, we, the, the big thing that we were worried about was that that Mayan apocalypse might secretly be a real thing? <laughs> we were like, ha-ha, it's not, but but maybe.
0: And, gee, could Mitt Romney really beat Barack Obama? <laughs> Oh, wouldn't it suck to have a Mormon in the White House? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have
1: been so, so bad, really worst, bad.
0: The worst Republican candidate ever. Yeah, yeah. Woo! Dodged a bullet there.
1: Oh, boy.
0: That was only eight years ago, Stu.
1: I know. It was not that long ago.
0: It was before Twitter became an absolute trash fire.
1: Yeah, Twitter was still mostly fine.
0: Yeah, it was pretty good back then. It's it's just all horror now. It's horror.
1: <laughs> Both intentional and unintentional.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. We gave everyone a voice, Stu. We shouldn't all have voices, Stu. No,
1: no. <laughs> well, what we learned was that not everyone should have a voice.
0: And this is why, you know, yes, I appreciate the irony of saying this on a James Bond podcast, but we're just talking about movies that are silly, <laughs> trying to bring a little bit of fun. Oh, God, everyone hates each other on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I'm complaining. But anyway, so the energy crisis – wouldn't come back, or the idea of oil, gas, solar, what would you call those, natural resources?
1: Uh, fossil fuels.
0: Fossil fuels. That doesn't feature again until Quantum of Solace. That's the next Bond movie that looks at resources like water and oil and that sort of thing.
1: Really? That, that well, seems really strange.
0: There's the pipeline in... The world is not enough.
1: Yeah, I was about to say one of the one of the Brosnans dealt with like petrol.
0: But that's more of like a
1: oil rather structure.
0: It's more like an infrastructure controlling thing. Like yeah, Quantum of Solace was about the villain who I forget because he's kind of forgettable. Green, I think, <laughs> but it's about driving down the price of creating a drought in one place so he can then make money off water and stuff like Hmm. that. So that's maybe the last time that they decided, let's do a cool action film about an environmental issue.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, and again, like this film isn't like concerned with the environmental aspects of it. But yeah, you're right. Like it, it does seem to be just something that is just part of the plot. It's just it's just a strange futuristic technology.
0: And how is it that only that one guy can make the Solex agitator? Yes. And he's dead now.
1: (laughs) He's dead now, so this is the only one, I guess. Presumably Q and Q Branch is going to reverse engineer it, I guess.
0: Yes, true, true. The other thing I meant to mention about the House of Mirrors, I got distracted, and I am sorry. (laughs) I mentioned Christopher Lee in his tracksuit. Yes. But the other thing I wanted to say is that he kills people in very deliberate ways. Seemingly more like a sniper. Yeah. And yet he has this weird house of mirrors where he has to be tested on his reflexes and his cat-like ability to duck and roll and jump and grab a gun and shoot it.
1: Yeah, and, and apparently his backstory is all about like a, he's a, he was a trick shot specialist. It wasn't that he was a marksman; it's that he could like yeah. he was like a trick shot. He could he could like shoot five fingers off a, a mannequin's hand, for example.
0: Yes. Why? Why? It's, yeah.
1: It, it's confused, <laughs> Natalie. It's confused.
0: He obviously has a plan to. Do something with Bond. And he goes into all this detail at the end about wanting to have a duel, a clash of the Titans. He
1: runs away. Yeah. Like, like uh, it was so weird. Like it was like that. They're just going to have like a, a standoff, like, like a, a 20, 20 paces standoff.
0: Who does 20 paces? And then
1: paces? he buggers off.
0: <laughs> 20 paces is a lot yes it got to 10 and i was like oh they're still
1: going yeah yeah exactly it weirdly undercuts the tension because you think that they're going to count to 10 and so he gets to 10 and you're like oh, and then 11 12 13 14 it's like oh okay how how much are they going to count to yeah the beach isn't 20, is 20 apparently
0: <laughs> the beach is not that long yeah that's right one's going to be in the water <laughs>
1: And then yeah, yeah you're right like, like Scaramanga has buggered off while Bond's back was turned to lead
0: him into his lair.
1: But with... it's not entirely clear where he's gone to Bond to the point where Nick knack has to go you should probably go through that door. <laughs> you know? Like just very weirdly staged.
0: Bond could have just gone, all right, I'm going to bugger off and he's yeah,
1: like oh oh he's gone. Great, I'll I'll escape now. That's that's good. <laughs>
0: oh. I'll call in the reserves or something, <laughs> although it does take good night later on to show them where the, the junk is. Um,
1: yes. both the ship, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> hey.
0: in both senses of the word. Ah, uh, uh, comedy. Um, <laughs> so that's really all I had on my list as well was, um, and high fat and. J.W. Pepper. And I mean, high,
1: high Fat is a non-entity in this film. He, he's there to be murdered.
0: Yes. But it is – okay, I will say, <laughs> as far as strange, weird stuff that happens in this film. So, first of all, I love the way Bond is introduced and he gets the third nipple, the fake nipple. To yes.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Scaramanga. And somehow they – are predicting this, like they're ready for him. They know that he's going to try this because high fat immediately goes, ah, forgive me for my
1: rudeness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right, because we later learned that Scaramanga is obviously working for high fat, so so he knows – who Scaramanga is and what he looks like. Yeah. So instead of saying, you're not Scaramanga, I know what Scaramanga looks like, henchmen, shoot this man dead. He plays along and draws him in, which is just crazy. Again, it's another thing that where it's done purely for the benefit of the audience. Like it makes no sense in in the universe of the film. It's done purely for people.
0: It makes perfect sense because... (laughs) It means that Bond has to go away and come back for dinner.
1: Yes. Oh, yes.
0: And he walks through like a statue garden. And we saw earlier in the day a big statue of two sumo wrestlers about to fight. Yes. And then it turns out that they're real. They're not. They just are replaced with two sumo fighters. Sure. Absolutely. And- again,
1: again, Why?
0: Exactly, Stu. <laughs> Somebody thought it was cool, and then Nick is dressed in like a like a Japanese dresses or
1: Chinese. like a, a weird little demon man.
0: Yeah, and he's like mostly nude. He's just got like a pair
1: of shorts. He's off. upsettingly naked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> this just, just the funniest way to phrase it. <laughs> get naked is that they, they
1: made this poor man get naked on screen why don't do that
0: is that appropriate is that like <laughs> does that break some sort of law now
1: <laughs> i felt like i was breaking some sort of law watching it and neck is about to stab him with his trident yeah well well I had a note about this but I, I was like this is another instance where bond is should be dead <laughs> like like and I hate that in these bond films where he is definitely about to be murdered and then the villain says no 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 let's do something far more elaborate yeah <laughs> You know, it's like, ah, oh, come on, man, you can do this. You can get into this in a more elegant way instead of being knock him out, kill him. Wait a second. I'd rather do something far more elaborate.
0: Which may give him the opportunity to escape.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. But let's know, give him a fighting chance at least.
0: We're gentlemen here and it is gentlemanly to allow beautiful handmaidens to massage him and
1: <laughs> I, what was something that I did love about that though is that when he woke up and he realizes what's happening, he just sort of rolls with it. He's just <laughs> like, Okay. He says some fresh heaven. nonsense.
0: He says it's heaven. Definitely heaven.
1: This is heaven. Definitely heaven. The
0: other thing about that fight in the dojo is that the two guys who come out first with um,
1: twin swords, mm. one of them dies. Oh, yeah. One of them gets, like, like gut slashed and is dead. Like, we are meant to believe he is dead. And I'm not sure what the point of that fight was. It's cool. I school. know. <laughs> I mean, it's a steep learning curve. <laughs> but damn it, it gets results. <laughs> They're all passing the kung fu version of their NAPLAN tests.
0: Yeah flying colors have got a hundred percent success rate
1: yeah, that's right exactly <laughs> everyone who passes is a hundred percent successful
0: <laughs> but it's like this weird demonstration fight and then a guy comes out and does just like a typical martial art i don't know what they call them but just where you kind of do your moves and you have yeah, two- yeah exactly
1: yeah they, he, run, he runs through some poses and, and moves and things
0: yeah and then bows why didn't they do it in the other order
1: like <laughs> well it's like it's like that thing where you know why why do you why do you send out increasingly stronger waves of henchmen yeah. to fight the hero like just send out the the big guy first
0: no no no, but they send out they send out dudes with swords. One of whom murders the other, or kills during the drill, or whatever you call it, the next guy out is doing his display, and then do they call someone else, or is it that guy that Bond goes up against?
1: No, no, it's that guy, and then they call him over, and and yes. so and the, the idea is that Bond is going to fight this guy, and then in what I thought was kind of clever, <laughs> as the guy bows, Bond like cold cocks him <laughs> and beats the shit out of him, <laughs> which I thought was great. I was like, you know what? I'm actually into that. that. That's pretty cool. And then they're like, okay, well, we'll bring out the actual guy now. This
0: like the bowing of respect implies that everyone will
1: respect. Yes, exactly. Respect. <laughs> and why should Bond, you know Yeah, exactly. Like Bond is there to die. He's got nothing to lose.
0: Yeah. Why should he, you know, <laughs> respect that gesture and not take it as a moment to really launch the element of surprise?
1: <laughs> but then what No, if- and that's why I love it. I love it. And it's very in character too. It's a very Bond thing to do. <laughs> well,
0: Yes, and when he wins in some way, I think he punches the guy down or something, or the next guy. And then he does a very quick bow towards the the sensei or the, the mm. dope master, I'm not sure of the term. And then he just like
1: Just dives through a window.
0: Dives out of you know, a bamboo window screen, just like <laughs> And his two nieces, which is a great band name, Hip and the Nieces, turn up at exactly the right
1: time to pick yeah, up exactly.
0: from outside.
1: <laughs> it's a very weird sequence. It was obviously included because they're like, can we get some kung fu in this movie?
0: Yeah, it's mad. And this is the this is the thing. Like We'll see in future Roger Moore films, really the next two, there's a whole bunch of mad shit in them. But mm. they work better or they just... Well, the thing,
1: yeah, the thing that I remember really liking about the Roger Moore era of Bond, and we'll see if I still like it as it goes on, because these last two films have been patchy at best, and this (laughs) one especially... Is that it did go kind of weird and campy. Like I, I didn't hate the fact that it was so different to what had happened with the Conneries, which are considered more sort of grim and gritty, remembering that it does have a spaceship that eats other spaceships yes. in the Connery era. So I mean, you know, gritty it's a it's a sliding scale.
0: Yes. I'm kind of scared because The Spy Who Loved Me is one of my favorites, or traditionally always has been. Mm. And given, you know, my reaction to some of these others as we watch them in order, I'm kind of scared of watching it because I'm (laughs) excited to watch it because it's one of my faves. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, am I going to have to have a different opinion after this? (laughs)
2: Like,
0: (laughs) I want to keep loving what I love and uh, damn it. I'm forced to relook it It better hold up it better hold up so yeah what else did I want to talk about with this film
1: well I mean I definitely I definitely wanted to touch on Scaramanga again because I just wanted to sort of obviously even though this movie is sort of a little bit off the radar of the general public it seems to be something that is very beloved by people who like the Bond franchise and and who you know who are sort of super fans and people who like Christopher Lee and people who like
0: Christopher Lee and he cited it as one of his favourite film roles.
1: Oh, sure, and he's obviously having a great time. Like he's having, he's loving it. He's not in like a bunch of makeup, you know. He's not rising out of a coffin or anything like that. Like he's, no. he's just, he's in a tracksuit. You he's know, not, I mean,
0: he's not betraying. So Ian McKellen
1: Exactly You know He's he's there Um, You know Just in a tracksuit With a golden gun Faffing about in, in an island paradise I mean I'm sure It was lovely to film
0: And his voice is so Ah uh, It's just I It's just, fantastic
1: it's, I mean he's Christopher Lee He has an amazing voice And so then they both do And and that, that's what I was sort of getting towards Is that this is A quite famous Little bit from Rob Bryden And yeah. uh, Oh god I've forgotten the other guy's name Steve Coogan uh, Yeah Steve Coogan um, Steve Coogan And Rob Brydon's uh, The Trip They have this this fantastic riff on the, the dinner scene. It's, yeah. Come, come, Mr. Bond. Come, come, Mr. Bond. You take
0: pleasure <laughs> in killing as I do.
1: <laughs> we are nothing like Scaramanga. Come, come, Mr. Bond. <laughs> 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 The whole part of if no one knows what the trip is, it's basically Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan doing voices at each other for a, an hour and a half. And it's amazing. It's a very good. Uh, I think it was a TV series that they cut into a movie.
0: Yes, um, there were two. I think they're about to do the third one or is it the fourth one? The might group, be the fourth one. Yeah, because there was one in England. And then I remember when it came out first and it was like six half-hour episodes or 25-minute episodes, whatever it was. Yeah. And I remember feeling like it was one of the best TV shows I'd watched that year because they're yes. sort of playing alter-ego versions of themselves.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So Steve Co- Coogan kind of leans into the, you know, he's the big shot of comedy. and
1: But he's, but he's still- also, in like, intensely frustrated. He's, like, a, an English actor who's had great success in England and is trying to break into America but can't really do it.
0: Yeah, and then Rob Bryden is, like, the cheery Welsh, you know, always <laughs> Just wants to hang out with his family, yeah. and um, Coogan keeps taking him on these culinary trips. Because that's the yeah. other—they go and eat these extraordinary meals, and then just do voices at each other.
1: The, that's it. The, the conceit is that Steve Coogan is writing a piece for the Guardian or something about like great restaurants of the Great Lakes region. Yes. Um. And so they go on a road trip through the Great Lakes region, going to all these very nice, you know, Michelin starred little restaurants dotted around the countryside, and they sit and have beautiful meals and do silly voices at each other. It's amazing. Yeah. It's just it's just a wonderful, wonderful show. <laughs> and they have an extended riff on on Scaramanga and Bond's uh, little conversation.
0: Yeah. You can um, actually look up on YouTube like compilations of all of their different Bonds. Yeah. And then their their Michael Caines are also very good. <laughs>
1: Yes, oh, yeah, or the the Michael Caine one is the most famous one. That's that's just amazing. Uh, That's not what Michael Caine sounds like.
0: (laughs) Blow the bleeding doors off.
1: (laughs) So I'd seen that scene, and then I hadn't seen the the actual original scene it came from, and so it was really interesting to then actually watch the scene and be like, oh, this is actually a really compelling scene. I I see why it's stuck in in both of their minds, because you have these two, like killers like they're they're both contract killers but one does it for queen and country and i I love that bond is constantly mocking and undermining scaramanga like scaramanga is actually being very reasonable in many ways where he's like i'm a big fan of yours like i i I love we do the same thing like he's really excited to meet bond and bond could not have more contempt for scaramanga i love it (laughs) He's like bloody, bloody fanboys.
0: Yeah, and that line, um, there's a four-letter word and you're full of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, is that the most risque a
1: Bond movie has gotten to? Well, yeah, I'm, um, I'm trying to think. Like, they don't really swear in Bond, do they?
0: Live and let die, and we didn't mention this, but in the scenes with J.W. Pepper and live and let die, there's a couple where he says oh, what the, f- and kind of makes the motion with his mouth.
1: Yeah, Drop and then they cut away.
0: And Well, then they've got the boat sort of go whoosh over the top. <laughs> <laughs> another one is when the si- like a, another cop car pulls up and the siren goes whoo over like another F-bomb, so they kind of fudge it to be humorous. Well, one more thing I, I wanted to mention in terms of production is Ken Adam is not on this film, and I don't think he was on the last one either. And there's some really dodgy, I think, Scaramanga's House of Mirrors and the lair where he has his gun and the solar agitator and whatever it is that Mary Goodnight sets off with her butt. Um, (laughs) It's fine. It's okay. But then there's some really dodgy shots with the laser on the little mushroom island thingy. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that probably is a sign that, you know, someone with the the vision of Ken Adam to create a really big, crazy prop lair,
1: thing yeah like it's something that obviously was meant to feel very epic and and huge and it actually feels kind of dinky
0: yes exactly so i think like a lot of things in this film feel a bit dinky (laughs) and yet it's that weird balance of when we've seen them be massive sometimes we go really that seems a bit over the top (laughs) so i guess yeah there's a line and this one feels flatter i mean all lines are flat so that doesn't make any sense but you you get my point can Bond be funny as a topic as we start to wrap up our, our podcast?
1: <laughs> yes, I, th- I think Bond can be funny. I mean, I, I think, you know, there are moments in the Daniel Craig movies that are funny. Like, like there's natural comedy that arises out of out of the situation. I think that, you know, it, it requires a deft hand to balance it with the, the more grim sort of action of, of the franchise. And I think we're starting to see it sort of swing to the other way. But the series has always had that sort of tension and push-pull between... The grim and gritty and campy you know nonsense mm. and i think you know there are extremes on both sides and i tend to not like it when it's like too far one way or the other but i yeah. think both of them definitely have a role in the franchise i think you know a, a bit of goofy action can make a lot of grimness go down smoother yes. I, don't, I don't know whether you feel the same way do you feel the same way
0: see the thing is because this film is so strange in the way mm. it It does things. I did find myself laughing at various points, kind of because of the nonsense. Like during the scene with the dojo, Mm. one of the nieces just smacks a guy out with a watermelon, like just watermelon (laughs) from a pile, and breaks it over a guy's head, and I just pissed myself. Like I don't know what it was about that, but it was just this crazy slapstick. Yeah, absolutely. In an otherwise, you know, like I guess still a bit high camp. Kung Fu scene, Mm. and then this guy just gets belted with a
1: watermelon. It's like yeah, yeah, and the watermelon disintegrates. Yes, like yeah, it's fantastic. And yeah, you're right. Like there's moments in that that I and to the movie's credit, like I think that is meant to be like at least slightly funny. Yeah, it's not meant to be totally serious.
0: Oh, I think so. I think so. So there's definitely the director Guy Hamilton is going well. Let's do some fun stuff with this to make Mm. it play up the silliness and yeah it's it's it is a fine line maybe if you can look at it as going this is the experiment of how funny we make this like maybe there'd been some humor movies that were doing well at the time and they thought
1: we can cash in and well but i I guess too it's just what what do you do that's new you know like like they've got to come up with a slightly fresh take on on the character and the franchise Mm. so you know do you go even grimmer? maybe not like like do you go crazy well probably not straight away but you could but you sort of start to to head that way and certainly Roger Moore sort of lends himself to to that sort of style of of bond
0: yeah you never get the sense that he's being serious even when he's mm-hmm. been deadly serious. He's always got a cheeky
1: green. Which is why when he, with no humour in his eyes whatsoever, threatens to beat the crap out of Maud Adams, it's like, yeah. oh, this is deeply uncomfortable to watch.
0: It really is. And not that when Connery, like, slapped a woman across the face, it wasn't also... A,
1: um, um... No, but in, in that situation, it felt in character. Yes, And yes. justified because of the plot. Whereas with this one, like, first of all, it's de- it feels wildly out of character for Roger Moore's Bond. Yes. And also it is very low stakes yes yes (laughs) the world's not in jeopardy it's a personal vendetta which makes it seem even more petty and weird
0: yes that's right although i guess for him he's like scaramanga's got his eyes on me so you need to talk and it's like do you do you know maybe be nice yeah it's it's so tonally off Mm. well you know bringing it back then to the women i don't know if the women are underserved by the roles that are written for them i mean they're Look, they quite probably are.
1: They probably are, yes. <laughs> but
0: is it also a case of – because Maud Adams is really good and she actually makes a return. She's one of the few actors who's played major Bond girls twice. She is Octopussy.
1: I was going to say, so, so she is Octopussy.
0: Yes, and a very different character. And I haven't seen that film in years, so I can't really – say until we watch it as to whether or not she gets better served by her character in that one. Mm. She is kind of a tragic figure in this one. She's the, the mistress who – she's kind of like a domino from Thunderball.
1: Sure, yeah, yeah.
0: Just thought it would be a glamorous life. Turns out it's pretty miserable because the only time Scaramanga, you know, wants to engage in any kind of coitus is before he takes a shotgun to someone. Mm. So. Sorry, not a shotgun. A what is it? It's a, a cig-
1: very a very tiny golden revolver.
0: Yes, it's or a
1: pistol c- rather.
0: Cigarette case, a lighter, and a pen, I think, and they all click together.
1: Yeah, they're all made of gold, and they all click together, and they shoot golden bullets.
0: Mmm, it's pretty good.
1: <laughs> like in ter- in terms of a villain gimmick, I've seen worse. Like it's fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um yeah, but Mary Goodnight is such a strange she is a character I think that maybe Fleming used once or like a couple of times.
1: Well he certainly like when he sees her, they they have a history. And and he's talking to her as if she has appeared in other movies. And I was like, Did I have I missed one? Like I'm not sure what's going on here. And and yeah, like she she obviously hasn't, and I don't think she appears again.
0: No, oh god no. No,
1: no. yeah. <laughs> So
0: well, he was roasted by critics and stuff. I think she was overdubbed though. I think her voice was dubbed, but her performance was essentially, oh, she's just a ditz, and and I, I don't know that it was all aimed at
1: her. There's nothing wrong with Britt Eklund's performance. It's just that what she's being asked to do, which which is to play a ditz, she's playing a ditz perfectly well. It's just yeah. that you know, Mary Goodnight is a Ditsy character who is not very good at her job yes. and who actively like is, is towards the end, like she accidentally turns the laser on with her bum. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like she's obviously being played as a broad ditzy comedy.
0: Yes. It's very strange, but she's still so super hot that it doesn't really matter for Bond. Um, no. <laughs> and, and it's so gross, the whole putting her in the closet and then she's just in the closet while he Gets it on with Andrea. And yeah, then,
1: and then she, and then she falls asleep. And was,
0: then he opens the closet, going, "You can come out now." And he's wearing a robe and smoking a cigar.
1: Yeah, well, like he took the time to go get changed,
0: Yeah. freshen up,
1: like the stogie. Scene,
0: the scene before that is is Maud Adams. I keep referring to her by her name, but yes. her character is Andrea. You see Andrea going back to Scaramanga on his junk, the boat, not not his actual junk. And he says, "Where have you been?" She says, "I'm seeing a movie." you is your late. It was a double feature. What are you doing? I'm putting my jewellery away, and you see that he's got the, the agitator. Mm. And so th- they get it on, and then you see Andrea arriving back on the junk, which one assumes is downtown and not in the
1: hotel where
0: Bond is staying. Yes. yeah. And then you see Bond open the door to Mary Goodnight. So that's been a fair amount of time that's Yeah, passed. well,
1: like, I mean, I assume Bond went and had a shower. He might have gone downstairs, gotten a quick snack.
0: You know. <laughs> when- went to the casino played a few hands
1: played some baccarat came back up and then turned back oh up. good night right yes that's right
0: and i don't do they get it on at that point or no not yet it was interrupted um, right
1: i honestly can't remember i can't um, remember
0: either and i just watched it yeah. <laughs> there have been oh jameses before but i think it's Britt Eklund's kind of oh james like that's one of the real
1: oh at the end of this
0: cliched things oh yeah and at the end when they're on the bed and he's like good night good night she's just coming sir (laughs)
1: like i mean look you know
0: and m is on the phone just like waiting
1: how did he get that number by the way
0: because they're spies (laughs) what's always funny is that because you know it's super high tech in that this phone call comes in and a panel opens up and this control panel emerges and a
1: landline phone comes up (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Land. But it's one of those ones where it's all its all cradle, you know. There's no yes. extra buttons. It's all just, ooh. And you still look at it and go, ooh, how high-tech. It's a landline. <laughs> Somehow a landline to a boat.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that stuff is all kind of kind of gross, like really over the top.
1: It's weird too because it kind of, like that that particular sort of thing, I, I think is done far better in subsequent movies where, you know, the the back and forth, the, you know, oh, she's, she's just coming, sir, you know, <laughs> all, all that stuff, and then the say goodnight, sir, you know, all that stuff, and then the, oh, James, all of it is done way better in subsequent films. This was obviously like a test run, I guess.
0: Yes. But what I did like, though, is that they didn't kill Knickknack.
1: No, yes. no, they, <laughs> they, they leave do. him swinging from the from the crow's nest.
0: They put him in a in a gibbet cage and string him up, but they don't <laughs> kill him because I think they knew that that would have been really very mean, like it well, would it just
1: Yeah, it it ends the movie on a weirdly sour note at that <laughs> point.
0: <laughs> like, They're downstairs they, getting it on while Nick Nack is just.
1: Well, like, he's literally he's literally saying, "Let me go, you big bully." <laughs> And it's like, oh, that's not, oh, man. <laughs> uh, this is
0: what I mean. It's like
1: Bond captures
0: him in a suitcase. Yes, I know. Like, it's not right. I'm not saying. No, no. It's, it's not questionable.
1: Not it's like objectively funny. Yeah. I said, well, exactly. It's one of those things. It's just like, and it's, it feels so weirdly out of place with what has just happened. Yes. He's chased him around the room like a squirrel got loose. <laughs> and then eventually bundled him into a suitcase and left him hanging from the yard arm.
0: You no, know, and this is the thing. It's like, what at, at what point can we not laugh at that? Because Hervey Villachers called himself a midget. That's how he referred to himself. Right, yes. From what I've been reading. So I'm happy to be, um, but he didn't like the term. He, he had dwarfism is the condition, mm. but I don't think little person was a thing back then. So he referred to himself as a midget.
1: Well, I think it's one of those things too that sort of comes and goes as to what's the acceptable term for, yeah. for people.
0: Right, and they will determine that themselves. Yeah, so he exactly. determined that he preferred to be called a midget. And so I wonder if he made that clear, like because Bond at one point sticks a gun in his face going, I've never killed a midget before. There's always a first time. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? And it's, it's yeah. one of those moments where, I again, I laughed because of the ridiculousness of 6 foot 5 you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> just threatening to murder this this tiny person
0: threatening to murder a tiny uh, person who who really does not pose i mean yes he's obviously feisty and is willing to rambo but yeah
1: the pose is very little threat to bond <laughs>
0: yes he puts a knife in his teeth to to like dive at them from the from the, roof <laughs> the bed like you, know, you see him put the knife in his teeth like rambo and yeah. this is i mean it's like this is so weird, but it's just chasing him around. It's like it's, it's so weird you laugh, I think, probably partly out of discomfort and partly out of the, the ridiculousness of it.
1: it is a, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre thing to happen in, in a movie that's full of very bizarre things.
0: Well, now, speaking of bizarre, I think we're probably close to wrapping up. I thought as a treat I could read you the actual plot of the book, The Man with the Goblet. Oh, well, I
1: was going to say, yeah, that, that I, I wondered how close it was. So, yeah, please, this would be great.
0: It's not close to you.
1: I, I would imagine not, no. <laughs> well,
0: the, the reason I wanted to bring it up is do you remember with You Only Live Twice? how I told you about the crazy actual story of Blofeld yes. wearing a samurai suit in a death garden
1: totally and, and how that would have been an infinitely superior film
0: <laughs> and then bond um he gets amnesia he kills blofeld yes, which and, then is insane. and kissy decides to not tell him who he is so she can like keep him
2: mm, and then he like a pet.
0: he reads something about the soviet union and says i have to go discover my identity so this is the last book that fleming wrote
1: the man with the golden gun.
0: Yes, before he right. done. some people think it may have been unfinished, like right. mostly done but not quite finished, and a few other people stepped in to clean it up. But other people say no, he submitted it to his publisher, and he said that he thinks he might be drawing close to the end of doing Bond because he thought it was a weaker a weaker novel. Right. But it follows on from You Only Live Twice, which, as we know, was Blofeld.
1: Right. So, so a semi-amnesiac Bond yeah. going off to the Soviet Union to figure out who he is.
0: So let me tell you. Right. Uh, I'm just going to read now from Wikipedia for funsies. So follow along at home if you like. A year after James Bond's final confrontation with Ernst Stavro Blofeld while on a mission in Japan, a man claiming to be Bond appears in London and demands to meet the head of the Secret Service, M. Bond's identity is confirmed, but during his debriefing interview with M, Bond tries to kill him with a cyanide pistol. The attempt fails. The service okay. learned that after destroying Blofeld's castle in Japan, because remember, it was a castle, Bond suffered <laughs> yes. a head injury and developed amnesia. Having lived as a Japanese fisherman for several months, Bond travelled <laughs> to the Soviet Union to learn his true identity. While there, he was brainwashed and assigned to kill M upon returning to England. Now deprogrammed, Bond is given a chance to again prove his worth as a member of the 00 section following the assassination attempt. M sends Bond to Jamaica and gives him the seemingly impossible mission of killing Francisco Pistols Scaramanga, Mm -hmm. (laughs) A, a Cuban assassin who is believed to have killed several British secret agents. Scaramanga is known as the man with the golden gun because his weapon of choice is a gold-plated Colt 45 revolver which fires silver-jacketed solid gold bullets. Bond locates Scaramanga in a Jamaican... Border. Sorry, that just reminds me of the movie. The guy who makes the bullets, Lazar, I think his name is? Yeah. In Macau, I think. And Bond turns up and just, like, stares at a family of Chinese yes. people. <laughs> and goes, I'm looking for Lazar, Lazar. <laughs> and they're just looking at him like, don't speak English, strange dude. It's and then Lazar
1: comes out and goes, ah, oh, Mr. Bond, come in.
0: Yeah. Let's let go back to
1: scene. eating their noodles.
0: And then Bond um, uses the gun that's been designed for someone with two fingers, but he's so cool that he can work out how to yeah, work it. We out the, with it. it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Oh, so good. Okay, so back to the novel. Bond locates Scaramanga in a Jamaican bordello and manages to become his temporary personal assistant under the name Mark Hazard.
1: Oh wow! <laughs> what a That's name! Great.
0: He learns that Scaramanga is involved in a hotel development on the island with a group of investors that consists of a syndicate of American gangsters and the KGB. Scaramanga and the other investors are also engaged in a scheme to destabilize Western interests in the Caribbean sugar industry and increase the value of the Cuban sugar crop, running drugs into America, smuggling prostitutes from Mexico into America and operating casinos in Jamaica that will cause friction between the tourists and the local people. Bond discovers that he has an ally who's also working undercover at the half-built resort, Felix Leiter, who has been recalled to duty by the CIA and is working ostensibly as an electrical engineer while setting up bugs in Scaramanga's meeting room. However, they learn that Scaramanga plans to eliminate Bond when the weekend is over. Bond's true identity is confirmed by a KGB agent, and Scaramanga makes new plans to entertain the gangsters and the KGB agent by killing Bond while they are riding a sightseeing train to a marina. However... (laughs) Bond manages to turn the <laughs> tables on Scaramanga and, with the help of Lighter, kill most of the conspirators. Wounded, Scaramanga escapes into the swamps while Bond pursues him. Scaramanga lulls Bond off guard and shoots him with a golden derringer hidden in his palm. Bond is hit but returns fire and shoots Scaramanga several times, killing him at last. So it's all about kind of like the identity of Bond given his, you know, memory loss His, and
1: yeah exactly okay stuff like that so that seems in the case of you only live twice that the novel seems like it would have been a way better film than what we got
0: yeah because scaramanga was supposed to because he's cuban he's supposed to be more of a gangster whereas they changed him for the film to be that kind of as you say the twin mirror of bond so elegant refined uh, all that sort of stuff and quite english even though he's i think Spanish or something, half Spanish? Well, I think
1: he's still supposed to be Cuban, isn't he? Or he's he's South American in some way. Right. But yeah, <laughs> like only in a very superficial way, apparently, because he's played by a tall, well-spoken Englishman. <laughs> um, so the, the novel of You Only Live Twice seems like it would have made a, a far better movie than the movie we got of You Only Live Twice. But in this case, it feels like The Man with the Golden Gun, the book, was just as muddled and strange <laughs> as, as the movie that they eventually made.
0: But hey, Mark Hazard, we could have seen... Mark, we could have
1: <laughs> in bond uh, nickname of mark hazard
0: so i think you know the idea of scaramanga as this the best shot in the world and bond mm. was his only other rival to that title is quite good compared to yeah you well know,
1: i guess in, in, a, in a way yeah like, like i i like that central conflict a lot more mm. it's just a shame everything else they sort of glommed on top of it
0: yeah that's right so yeah i thought it was really interesting and i thought that was worth kind of reading out and enjoying the madness that is Fleming's um, final...
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. It makes me wonder because it seems that what they're doing with the more recent Bond films is really going back and re-examining some of the original run of movies and, and sort of doing stealth remakes of them. I would really like to see a modern version of this. With that core idea of the guy who who is Bond's equal in many ways. And to have that rivalry, I think that would be fascinating. I think that would be really cool. They kind of did it a little bit in Skyfall with...
0: Uh, Javier Bardem.
1: Javier Bardem, his character, who is an ex-MI6 agent. But I guess... You know, it's not really one for one. I'd, I'd, I'd love to see something like this, where there's a, there's a guy, a master assassin, who considers himself, you know, the best in the world, and he wants to test himself against James Bond. I think that could make a really cool movie. It's just, it just wasn't this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to our lists, and we have to work out where on our lists yes, this film goes.
1: Now I went I went first last week. Do you wanna do you wanna take it this week?
0: Okay. Well I'm gonna I'm gonna take a punt that we might be both thinking the same thing. Possibly. Because I think of any movie to drop lower than Thunderball on your list.
1: <laughs> it potentially is this one. Now well look, you're putting it dead last.
0: I think I have to put it down the bottom of what we currently have.
1: Oh wow, okay.
0: Well, I do think Thunderball and you only live twice which are the ones that are currently down the bottom of my list are better more enjoyable films than this one I think that's pretty obvious
1: that's and, true um, having said that Thunderball is and let me just check my notes uh, <laughs> 17 hours long <laughs> um, it's a it's a very long movie Natalie just- I Full of endless, endless underwater sequences.
0: I really can't wait until we get to the end of this project just to see how long Thunderball worth <laughs> <once. laughs>
1: There's, I, I know for a fact there's a couple coming up that may just beat it. <laughs> well,
0: this movie is two hours and five minutes, which I think Thunderball is like two hours ten. So it's the same length. No, 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 no
1: I, I, you, you misunderstand, Natalie. I've just said, I, I checked, I double-checked. It's the <laughs> Thunderball is uh, 27 hours long. Um <laughs> It's a, it's a long movie. It's interminably long. <laughs> uh, this, this movie it's this movie is a fraction of its running time.
0: So are you telling me that you're not going to put it to dead last?
1: It's not going dead last, Natalie. Not for oh, me. No. Um, this is going in my eighth spot. So right between You Only Live Twice and Thunderball. Wow.
2: Um,
1: I think You Only Live Twice had <laughs> the, the egregious yellow face, but a lot of other stuff was very cool in it. The Man with the Golden Gun, uh, I think, has well i tell you i tell you what gets it what what honestly gets it above thunderball
0: is it the way is it's is it when bond chokes on the uh belly dancers it, <laughs> bikini, it Mabel, no, you, you, you know what
1: it is I, I what what honestly it is, it's that um Christopher Lee's Scaramanga is such a cool villain. Oh, crap, um, and he's right. so much better than God, yeah. who even who even is the um Largo a uh, Largo, yeah. Uh, the the, the eyepatch largo in Thunderball. Like uh, who who cares? I don't care about that guy. Scaramanga's awesome. So that that just pips Thunderball. <sighs> That's really
0: interesting. And this this is why it's so hard, because as I said to you at the top of this. There are lots of things in this movie that I really like. Yeah, I know. I like the crazy, stupid spiral scene, even with the – the slide whistle like it's so stupid i love the dumb plane car I the, yes i love that kid i love that kid like that if, if we were picking out performance elements and i could just pick out that kid and you're right about scaramanga and knickknack they're both terrific i think it will still be higher than other films to come but i think out of given the crazy plot ridiculousness and that's what i was sort of judging yeah, you know totally. you twice on and that's, and, and
1: that's valid that's absolutely valid
0: yeah uh, i think i have to put it down there so I'm, I'm interested to see if anything could um, beat Thunderball
1: <laughs> <laughs> like I said I suspect there's one or two uh, coming up that, that may just pip it <laughs>
0: So there we go. We have uh, discussed what is um, often considered a weak point in the franchise, one of the lesser films, and uh, we will return to see how we cope with The Spy Who Loved Me, which is, um, putting it out there now, always been one of my favourites, so I'm going to be real upset if it doesn't (laughs) hold Well, we'll see. And with that... Stew, I think it's time to bring this clam bake to an end. Thank you for joining us, everyone. If you do want to chat to us, at Disco Stew and at Girl Clumsy are our names on Twitter. I know we were rubbishing it and um, saying it's all full of horror, but, you know, feel free to to reach out to us and provide some shining light in an otherwise dark world. You can find all of my recaps that I'm writing to accompany all these podcasts on my website, nataliebohensky.com, and I'm on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash natalie's throne to find all the Facebook fun. And I do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash girlclumsy. All of these names are very different. Sorry about that. It's very hard to get consistency in the internet. But, um, yes, if you are enjoying them or want to throw me a couple of bucks a month or a buck a month, I'm very grateful for any and all support as we go through COVID. And my livelihood of being a producer is on hold. So uh, no pressure. It's a weird time. It's a hard time. There's lots of worthy causes to donate to at the moment. So absolutely no pressure for me just putting it out there because that's what you've got to do on the internet so with that said i'm Natalie. and i'm Stu. and we're shaken
1: not stirred man with the gun.
2: <laughs> get it done.
1: all that brass it's a parody song